Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Devarim, covering Deuteronomy chapter 1 uh, through verse 22 of chapter 3, and also touching on some of the Haftarah portions that we, they are the parallel passages that we looked at in Isaiah chapter 1 and Matthew 24 and Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. One of the, the great things that we get every so often in our cycle that you have the ninth of Av or Tisha B'Av rolls around around the time of this particular reading is that it allows you to connect a number of things together that spans a long, long period of time of not only just the, the entry into the land of ancient Israel, but also the destructions of the temples uh, over time, and also about the great thread that runs through all of it, the pattern that was shown to Moshe on the mountain, which became the tabernacle and then became the temple. So through all that, we get this uh, some key lessons that we'll be going over here today is that you'll see that the often this roller coaster of Israel's history that eventually ends up with you'll see the, the good t- good kings and then lots and lots of bad kings. And then you'll have problems of desolations, first starting with Shiloh or Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, and then leading to the uh, destructions of the temples, the first temple and then the second temple. But through all of this, you'll see that the precursors, what leads up to this is the key aspect, because we can... You look at pretty much any live feed or picture of Jerusalem and see, yeah, there's no temple there. Okay, that's pretty obvious. And there hasn't been one there for um, about 2,000 years. But what is hugely important, which is where that passage from Matthew 24 shows up, and then the passage from Isaiah chapter 1 shows up, and also the passages from Hebrews 3 and 4 show up, and about um, Moshe's history lesson that he was giving us in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 2, and 3 is what leads up to each of those situations. Why is, um, yes, uh, Larry, you have a comment or a question over there. Thinking since we read, since we read this parasha um, that uh, Moses m- mentioned in that case that they, didn't, they couldn't enter the land, and neither could he, because the Lord had something against him. And I'm wondering if, I know that that's, we always think that that's because of the waters of, of Marabal, was it, where he struck the rock instead of speaking to it like he was supposed to. Right. And the Lord castigated him for that. But I wonder if it also had something to do with the fact that he initiated that search that turned out so badly. Because he mentioned it right there at that same time. Yeah, well, as... As we've noted uh, before, that this recounting that Moshe is doing, now this is recounting for the second generation. So these are the children 
of the ones who screwed things up so badly the first time around. So the <laughs> you could say some of the recountings are soft-pedaled big time of what actually happened. Now, with what happened with the sending in the spies and then listening to those spies, what they give their bad report, you know, the, the 10 to 2, 10 gave a bad report to a good report. The reason why they listened to them and trusted in them versus trusting in what the Lord had said and then those two other spies had reiterated and confirmed that was, there's really no soft peddling that. That was where the Lord said, go out, go forward. And they said, uh, no. But then when they got the message, well, because you didn't go forward, you're not going to go forward. Then they went, all right, we're going to go. And those two situations were quite different. The one that they were going to go in the first time, and it was going to have a easier challenge because the Lord was going to be fighting for them. Then the second time when they just decided to go up on their own, um, they encountered problems because the Lord wasn't fighting for them. Now, one of the things that you, you'll often hear people say when you're preparing to do something that's quite challenging is that you will, uh, you will was it, rise to your level of preparation and you will fall to your level of unpreparedness so if you are preparing to do anything whether you're a musician and you're going to go play music if you never practice and just expect well i'm just so wonderful i'm just going to show up and and there you go it's going to go swimmingly well good luck with that i even i even saw that was watching this video of the great van halen uh the great Ed, eddie van halen fantastic guy could play by ear with anything so he was jamming with uh, Les Paul, the, the Les Paul, the one that the guitar is named after. Not the, not the greater Les Paul. <laughs> uh, but Les Paul was launching into a jazz tune. Completely different genre than Eddie Van Halen had ever played with chord progressions that are completely different than any rock song you're ever going to play, except maybe progressive rock during the 70s. But... Eddie Van Halen was totally out of his element. So his be able to play by ear was almost useless to him. He didn't know where the songs were going, what the kind of general flow of those things were. But people who play jazz, whether it's the Preservation Hall band that you're down in New Orleans, and you hear them, and I'm not exactly a big fan of that because it just sounds like everybody's soloing at the same time and it's a mass cacophony. But um, they still know where the songs are going. And in your particular realms of music, even in classical music like Baroque, they tend to resolve in a certain way to certain intervals that they resolve on when you come around through a motif and they'll resolve in a particular way. So if you're, if you're familiar with Baroque, you'll know where, the, where it's going. If you're familiar with 12-bar blues, you'll know where it's going. But if you have no idea, if you don't practice, you have no idea what's going on. Yes. So when they t- people talk about whether it's sports with muscle memory, you've got to practice, 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 practice. So you can do things that you don't even have to think about it because you've already gone through similar sorts of movements. So with this, what we're reading here today is about 
the idea of practicing. You practice the walk before you need the walk. You are going through rehearsing the walk before you need to fully go through with the walk. And that's what is being recounted in each of those, the passages we read here today is, are you prepared for the walk? You know, people, when they come up with like Matthew 24, it's like, okay, well, how's this scenario going to go with this and that and this and that with the, the, um, the particular calling of um, the way that um, the end times are going to go? Well, we don't know. People guessing one way or the other way. But the point is, is that do you have down the fundamentals, which are reviewed at the earlier part of Revelation? Revelation chapters 2, 3, where it's talking about those seven congregations. You know, how does each one of those things end? Each one of those little messages to those assemblies. To the one who stands, to the one who endures, get the crown. So it's like, all right, this is, this is a scenario that's going to come at you. Are you prepared for that particular scenario? And we over a few weeks ago when we were going through the story of Bilam back in Numbers, we saw, hey, it's mentioned there in Revelation. So you better know what tripped up Israel regarding Bilam, Balaam, because there's going to be a similar curveball coming at the final generation on the day of the Lord. There's going to be something coming at you like that. So you need to be able to know what the hallmarks of that sort of a ploy are going to be. So the questions that we can ask as we go through this are, you know, we, we talk about this time of Passover time, about that we rehearse each time we go through Passover. And remember, are we house of bondage? What was our house of bondage? Have we left our house of bondage? Or are we like Israel where it says, okay, you've gone around this mountain Seir long enough. Time to get going. Go north because you're going to go up north and then head west, cross the Yarden and go into the land. So you've been practicing long enough. Now it's time to actually move forward and actually do it. And then one of the key questions that comes through, and it was part to Larry's question there and comment related to Moshe going in and what was the actual situation, is the question, well, who freed us from this house of bondage? And that was one of the things that you saw in both of the examples of where uh, Moshe was scolded by the Lord. is because you did not treat me as what? Holy, as separate, as distinct other and above because you did not treat me as that that is the reason why so thus it's like who freed us from this house of bondage do we remember that that we actually were in a house of bondage something was keeping us back from moving forward into the land and who actually freed us from that and then if we are free from it, are we going to be like Israel and keep wanting to go back all the time to our house of bondage? Remember, we kept reading through numbers, you know, oh, man, the food was so great. Man, the food was awesome there in Egypt. Oh, it was awesome. It was wonderful. We had such a fabulous time there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, onions were were huge. So, yeah, huger than the fish. We had fish and onions. It was just a fantastic time there. It was it was Club Med or Club Dead was probably the better way to put it. They just didn't realize it. So, and then something that we look at each time we go through one of our appointed times, each one of them, whether we're talking about Passover, whether we're talking about Shavuot, Pentecost, whether we're talking about Yom Turah, Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Blowing Trumpets, whether we're talking about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, whether we're talking about Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, each one of these things is a reminder of different parts of the journey, the journey that we're on. And each one of these things should be a looking back, a looking back, a part of the traditional Yom Kippur service is a recounting of long list of sins. And you might say, well, I've never done anything like that. Well, really? Have you really sat down and thought about that? And that's a part of what these rehearsals are the practices going through these cycles each year is all about is to remember where we were where we're going and how far we've actually come and if we find ourselves still circling the mountain so to speak then it's like oh okay we need to realize we need to get going on stop letting our past be an anchor holding us back from heading into the land of rest. Okay, so that is, and one of the things that we're reminded about is that we can be complacent because we're relatively free. Now, past couple of years, we realized that, yeah, that freedom is very tenuous. It can be snatched back at a moment's notice where people say, ah, no, we we don't want you doing things anymore. We've seen it continues to go on in other countries. Our, our neighbors to the north in Canada, they still struggle with that on an ongoing basis. Of They're still acting against the, the freedom to still go out and worship and congregate. So, I mean, praise God that that pastor who was you know, arrested, face down in the middle of the street by a SWAT team, up there in Canada, he won his case. I was like, uh, no, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> they may do that over in uh, Russia, but we don't do that here in the Western world. So we have a little idea of freedom. Now, they in Canada only got their freedom in 1980, what was it, 1986? Yeah, was the codification of their version of the First Amendment. Eight, 1986. So ours goes back to you know, the late 1700s, where the ratification of our Bill of Rights with the First Amendment came in. So you know, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of worship, freedom of speech, those things, freedom of petition in the government. Those things came in, and we've had them all along. So do you realize that you're actually freed, and do you still keep moving on? Now, people like, here's a picture of Cuba. Uh, they know what it's like to be in the house of bondage, because they're still there. 
But we, living in places that are fairly free, do we realize that we're actually free? Or do we are still circling the mountain, so to speak, like ancient Israel? Now, as we come up on the uh, Tishba Av, or the Ninth of Av celebration, they were talking about these rehearsals, and that is really what the, the whole concept of what we call the, uh, the Yomim Tovim, or the, the good days, comes from. And the idea of the Chag comes from, which is where we translate that into festival. And the derivation of the word there, you see that Chagag, comes from the idea of to keep a um, keep a fest keep a pilgrimage, but the, also the derivation for this word comes from uh, the idea of wandering or moving in a circuit, which is where we get the the idea that comes down through various sages that the festivals are a rehearsal. You are moving in a circuit, moving in a circuit toward a particular type of destination. All right. So with that, one question that we ask when we come around and we look at Israel's move, their second birth, the second generation of the people that are heading on into the land, questions that we can come into is that, is life just a series of calamities that you're as... The Apostle Yaakov puts it in chapter 1. Are you just like tossed like a ship back and forth in the waves and you're completely helpless? It's just one thing, just throwing things at you one after another after another. So, yeah, is life just a series of calamities? Well, are you really actually maturing in the process? Becoming complete? And how then do you handle these things as they come along? That's one of, the, one of the key things we're talking about with this. You can talk about Matthew 24 and your various scenarios for the day, the day of the Lord and the end times, but will that actually help you at all when, those, when you get the curveball that doesn't fit your particular timeline? Well, if you're, you have to be prepared at the core level of it so that when you are having to stand, to take a stand, are you ready to stand up? So, moving on from there, to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. We've, we went over this some time ago when we went through James chapter 1, but there's a whole host of different passages that, that really talk about this, where you are um, moving toward rest. And here a particular passage from Psalm 139, verses 23-24, where you see this, the three steps talked about here is to search me, test me, and then lead me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. So search me, test me, and then lead me. That is someone who wants to move from one place to another. They don't want to be circling the mountain. They're outside the land, outside the promised land anymore, the land of rest. They want to move forward. So when you compare it to like another passage here, 
Also in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4, with what we say each Shabbat, a passage that's taken out of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. So Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, and you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. And from Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is a good indicator that this description of it being on your heart is not some sort of like, you could say a um, wishy-washy, touchy-feely sort of thing where, you know, I just follow my heart, whatever that means. No, this is a your internal core of who you are, what's, what moves your emotions, what motivates you, moves you forward, has been trained up to move in a different, in a given direction. It is really your core of what's inside of you. That's why, like in Mark chapter 7, that's when Yeshua was saying, well, out of your what your mouth speaks, out of your heart, not just whatever I'm feeling at the moment, I just blurt out. No, it's what is deep inside of you. Now, what's deep inside of you can be ugly or it can be trained to be different. Or, as the Apostle Paul puts it, that, you know, you can be conformed into the likeness of the Mashiach. So then, what then is inside of you mirrors a lot like the Mashiach. So then, what then will come out of you? If the inside of you is like Mashiach and has been likened and patterned after the Messiah then what will come out of you? The likeness of Mashiach will come out of you. So as, as the old saying from programming is, garbage in, garbage out. If you have a program and you throw a bunch of junk into it, you're going to get a bunch of junk results out of it. And then if it's really bad, if you're a terrible programmer, you can take the junk that comes in, garble that even more, and then you'll have an incredible effluent flowing out the other side. So, another passage here from Psalm 26, verses 1 through 3. Vindicate me, or as it literally says, to judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Now, we, we've talked about a lot of this before. Hebrew poetry works a lot on parallels, where you have phrases that will parallel each other, and either which is helpful because there are some words, especially in the Psalms, that are like used once. 
we would have no idea what the translation of it was were it not from the parallelism where you have the parallel use of it so you can say well okay that meaning of the word is somewhat similar to the other word that we do know what the meaning is but in this case so we have the parallel of vindicate me O lord for i have walked in my integrity and i trusted in the lord without wavering those are the ones that are parallel together walked in my integrity just sounds really like you're a boasting brogadashio i'm just such a i'm so awesome i'm walking in my integrity but no what does that actually mean it means that you trusted in the lord without wavering that is what your integrity is because what is your integrity? We talked about this with character. What is your character? Your character is that which will survive from one situation to the other. It won't change. So you can be a charlatan and play nice, but you know things get too bad, then you know the quote real you will come out. And I know when my real me comes out, I start realizing okay it's time to go back to the workshop because the real me uh definitely needs to get an upgrade needs to get uh cleansed and changed yes i need yeah this definitely needs to be reformatted my hard drive yes the deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 2 and 3 and see a a passage here that definitely shows up in the gospels you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So that's a, an expansion on what this whole discourse that we just saw in Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3, this recounting of Israel's history. That one of the things that you're to get out of all these experiences is to remember. Remember the way that you went. And remember how you were led. So the Lord was the one that was leading you, took you out of the house of bondage and was leading you toward the mountain and then on into freedom. And in the process that you're being led, a part of the humbling is to remember you're actually being led. You're not just having a whole bunch of people that are collectively wandering in one direction together and just like, how did we end up here? I don't know. I, I was wandering out of Egypt, and hey, he's wandering out of Egypt too. No, you're actually being led. Now, the question that we saw that there being a, a battle for leadership there with the, the Korah rebellion, you know, who's really in charge? Who's actually leading? A rebellion against Moshe and his brother, Aharon. Are you actually the leaders here? And it comes down to, no, they are being the ones under authority. 
They are the ones who are getting the directive to move forward. They have a commander. They aren't the commanders. So that was one of the important lessons of it. So that's part of this humbling experience, the having experiencing the challenges. No bread, no food, no water out in the desert. So there's no 7-Elevens or Safeways around out in the desert. So you are completely dependent on the one who's leading you out there. Completely dependent. So that is a part of the training process. Okay, you're out of options. What do you do? Someone is leading you out in this direction. Yes, and I talk about cleaving to the Lord. Well, yes, you go to the one who's leading you because that, lead, that leading continues. Remember that the cloud it continues to move with them. All this is happening in the interim, so you're like, okay, the Lord is traveling with us. Maybe the one who's leading us can actually help us and actually is dependable. So that little bit of a trust lesson was necessary in the process, a part of building, 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 building up. So that, why was that whole trust exercise important? For the episode that at Kadesh Barnea that Moshe was talking about. Because then they had to come into that lesson where they got 10 reports that are like, can't do it. There's no way. Just, walls are too high. People are too big. There's no way we can do it. You got two reports that are saying, what are you talking about? The one who led us here can lead us in. No problem. So all that training that they've had and all that time of being hungry, being thirsty, the water coming. Um, yes, we have a comment over here from Larry. Yes, so all that training came down to that moment. Okay, now what are you going to do about it? What is your decision going to be? You're now faced with a hugely lopsided um, report that's saying, yeah, this is a bad idea. But there's like two out of ten reports. Two reports that are good. 10 reports that are bad. So you're looking at that, those 12 reports and it's like, just looking at it by numbers, it'd be crazy to go with these two. Well, there's the majority was right, but it's like that decision and that choice didn't come out of nowhere. It had been coming all the way along. You think about back there in Egypt, the, deity of a people that were in servitude for a superpower just coming up and say let my people go like you saw pharaoh he was he was strengthened in his position which you would say would be by worldly standards logical i mean what are these people gonna do we control them and they're telling us to let us go to a superpower that's that, that's that's nuts. Why would you even go with that? But bingo, a superpower was brought to its knees by the deity of these servants 
and they left with a lot of stuff. Because people were just, please go. Just lavishing on them. Get out. Then, not only on top of that, you know, <laughs> Dainu, we're going to talk about Dainu, if it, if it was, wasn't enough of that, the, the plagues, but then you had an army of Egypt was crushed with no actual fight. It was crushed by the sea. So, with all that, that, that choice there at Kadesh Barnea, 10 bad reports, 2 good reports, it should have been a no-brainer that the 2 good reports were where you would go. Yes, Larry, I'm sorry, I keep blabbering on. I was thinking, uh, they, had these, they had these fears that they were self-fulfilling. Yes. Because... They said, did you bring us out here in the desert to die? Don't we have enough graves? Yep. Well, apparently, that's what you want. Yes. Because I warned you, and you're doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, you, were, you are going to die here in the wilderness. And yeah. your children, who you said were going to be taken captive, they're going to go in to get what you were supposed to get. So yeah. They fulfilled their own prophet, their own bad prophecy. Yes, Jared. It's um, kind of interesting this whole the whole scenario with the with the spies and um, it shows how flip floppy humans can be because in the desert they didn't trust God at point at some point in order to either protect them give them food give them water give them shelter and all that and they got in trouble for it uh, when the spies went into the land of Canaan from Kadesh Barnea. They weren't just some regular, this one's for you, Daniel, Joe Schmoolies, right? <laughs> um, just, hey, you want to go spy out the land of Canaan? Sure, all right, sign up. It was, they were, I know, Dad. They were, um, they were princes. They were pol- basically um, politicians of their time. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that they were just listening to a bunch of, of random guys being afraid. They were listening to their leaders be afraid and saying that they couldn't do it. And uh, uh, there's a there's commentary about this about the spies and why why did they say that they couldn't do it? And it wasn't necessarily that they didn't that they didn't trust God. It was they were trying to stay in the desert because that's where the automated food came from <laughs> and the automated water came from and the cloud came from. And where they were being taken care of, so it's 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 really screwy what goes on through the heads of these spies. Is that oh the desert we're brought here to die, we're all going to die and perish and live horrible lives, and oh wait we have to actually go plant our food now. Um, you know, automated automatic bread on the floor every morning when we just go and pick it up and eat it. it doesn't sound too bad anymore. So it's yeah. But then they, they grumbled about the automatic yeah, they bread. Grumbled about the automatic bread. So, yes. um, humans humans are screwy. We like to complain. We like to complain. Yes. So with this, we're gonna move on into just a a quick little look at. Um, Oh, yes. Uh, sorry, Carrie. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, maybe a little bit in line with Jared, I, um, this whole 
situation with them, you know, even before the 40 years, uh, to me, it's just beautiful. You know, I, I don't think there's a human on the earth that can say that they haven't done any of the things <laughs> that the Israelites are doing through this entire journey. Yep. And um, the absolute abundance of patience that Hashem shows toward us is just magnificent. Um, and, the, and the times that he says he's getting angry. <laughs> You know, he's starting to lose patience. The times that Moses says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can't do that. You know, let's not do that. That's not the wise choice. Um, you know, I, I think it's just beautiful. Um, even the, I guess maybe the reality that even after Hashem has already spent time wooing us, we still need that 40 years of wilderness. You know, and for us, sometimes it's not quite that long, but everybody needs a wilderness. And to be honest with you, I think I've probably gone through one more than once in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, sometimes, you know, I hear the rebellion and I hear the grumbling and the complaining and it sounds so negative. Um, but the reality is that, you know, sometimes we're just so completely lost. Yes. And, um, you know, when he finds us, he comes back and he picks us up again. And um, I, I just think it's incredibly beautiful. Yeah. And that's, that's what a lot of the point is here today is to, is to look and to see, yeah, each one of us gets into this kind of a situation. But what do you do? Not just now, but in the future and when these trials come along to at least prepare yourself to have a direction that you're going to head in when you start getting into this, which is where you get one of the most beautiful passages is in um, James chapter 1, where the Apostle Yaakov is talking about this situation. It goes first over this. You're going to face trials of many kinds. But a part of that, these trials that come along, is to build you up, not to tear you down, but to build you up. Now, it might be a bit of a tearing down in the process is, is that the things that leave you completely incapacitated, those are the things that you need to learn to get past. No matter what it is that you face, no matter what it is you face, there are, you know, they go by various names, the coping mechanisms, whatever. You have to realize where is it that you go. And this passage here from James chapter 1 here, starting out verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now this is, in context here, this is not just talking about wisdom just so I can be a wise guy. Just general wisdom. This is wisdom in the context of you are facing trials of many kinds. And this, these trials are there to build your perseverance. And then in the end of it, that you become mature and complete, lacking nothing. So that you reach this point 
You're, what, what is it that you are lacking? We read it earlier. Oh, you, wisdom is what helps you get to this point of not lacking something. It's the F word. Fear. That's what you're lacking. So you end up lacking fear. Because, you know, you, you talk to, um, I've heard from my, my uh, relative, my uncle, he never really talked much about his service in World War II. And one thing he did tell me at one point was that, yeah, you're just deathly afraid. He, was, he served in um, the Italian campaign, came up from North Africa and landed in Italy. He was a medic, a non-combatant medic, so had no gun. But his entire battalion was wiped out. He was the only one that survived from it. But fear? Oh, yeah. But what do you do in the face of that fear? Just keep going. You move through it. You know, I, me, I'm deathly afraid of heights. But uh, <laughs> when I was, uh, worked one summer uh, doing, pulling trusses over the top of uh, walls of a house, it's, you work through it over time. Because it's like, what, what option do you have? I mean, I could just say, okay, I quit. I'm not doing any of this. But it's like, all right, no. You can get through this. And you just, you just move forward with it. And you just realize, yeah, okay, I can move forward. Yeah, my, my greatest fear that I'll fall off one side of this wall or the other side of the wall and it's 30 to 45 feet down to the floor, uh, that won't be so good if I go down. But then it's like, okay, I can actually step forward. That possibility still remains that I'll fall one side or the other side. And it won't go so well. But what then do you do? You just stand still and accomplish absolutely nothing? Or do you just step forward? Yes, Rose. I'd like to say that courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the presence of God. Presence of? God. Yes. Yeah, the fear... What helps you to move forward is to know that you you can call upon God and yes, and you can get that courage. Yes, go ahead, uh, Anne, and then Alex here. I see has his hand up, so go ahead, Anne. Um, your dad your dad shared something last week about all your all your troubles as a young child Uh-oh. and how you how you caught <laughs> my trips your, to the emergency room. Yes, you, yeah, you caught your foot in Ooh. spokes of the car of the. Good thing I don't remember and, that one that well. Yeah, I wonder about your ankle. You know, I know my ankle, um, but I was fifty-five years old at the time. My Ooh. ankle was fifty-eight years old. So much. Yeah, and uh, you know, you were what six or seven or something. Yeah, know, I was. And, I was, so I was you, very, very young. You, you may not have known the Lord then, but He knew you when you got through those things. Yeah. So. Why I don't have a whole bunch of uh, metal in my leg is beyond me, because it was a telescoping fracture, or not, not telescoping. It's a it was a radial fracture. Sorry. Yeah, those those are the nasty ones. So they didn't put a telescope into you. Ah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. What's that over there? Yes, a telescoping <laughs> fracture would be really bad. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Alex. Go ahead, and then Larry. Yeah. Um. 
I've been reading, still reading on the early church. And, you know, James was, uh, he was up against it. He was supposedly handpicked by Yeshua to take the church, and he did. And he was first leader. And he, he had basically had the establishment Jews against him. And Paul, before Paul had his vision. So uh, the guy was tough. Uh, he, he stood firm. And uh, for 20 years, I mean, he was beaten. And uh, so uh, James is a, a guy we can look to. But, man, I'll tell you, I, those, those first century, that was the Jerusalem church, the original church, which is more kind of what the Messianics were called with. Because as it started heading toward Rome, I think Paul and Peter, or it was more Paul, but uh, it's pretty tough stuff. And my other thought is, as far as the fall of the temple, uh, some say that it was because of the Jerusalem church, uh, where modern Judaism split off with the Talmud and uh, the Christus Rex uh, heading out of Jerusalem. Uh, but the the fall of uh, the temple was probably because of all that dissension that the, quote, messianics or Christianized Jews uh, holding fast to the fact that the Herodians, uh, who were literally in bed with the Romans, uh, that it was not to be. It, you just can't do it. And they held fast. James and the uh, early church. In Jerusalem, so huge amount of friction right there. Enough that Rome thought it was about time to blow up the temple. So I don't know if you've uh, come across a lot of that same thought, but uh, it makes sense to me. Yeah, um, that's certainly possible. But one of the things that you'll you'll see is that the prophetic uh, term called the abomination of desolation, which is talked about in Daniel. Um, happens for a particular course of behaviors of the people. And you'll see the exact course of behaviors of the people with um, what Yeshua was talking about, about this, this uh, evil and perverse, wicked generation, different ways it's translated with that, is that the same sort of heart tendency of the people of God was headed in the same direction as happened previously, leading up to the, um, the Ichavod that is talked about in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, to the um, destruction of Jerusalem under Babylon, similar thing to dis- destruction of, of Jerusalem under Rome. Now, the lesson that was learned uh, that was different from Babylon was that it wasn't pagan gods that was the issue. It was also a move away from the, the belief that, um, that mercy and justice was an outgrowth of the belief in God. That was the same thing you saw happen that led up to the Babylonian destruction and actually the destruction of the northern nations too, where they did not let their, um, let their servants go. They did not uh, have a release of debts in the Jubilee year 
let the land be fallow during the the Shemitah or the sabbatical year. So that same heart attitude, yes, it wasn't about a pagan deity then for the second temple as it was with the first temple, but the same kind of heart rot that came within the people was present there with the destruction for the second temple as well. And you saw that Yeshua was addressing that with the leaders of the temple and leaders of the people. So leaders of the temple, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and then the leaders of the people, those particular groups of Pharisees. There was other Pharisees that ended up being believers in Yeshua later on. They're described in the book of Acts. But there was um, a rot within the leadership of the people. And the same as what happened with the first temple. The shepherds, just as the prophet Yirmiyahu talked about, the shepherds being an issue. So when Yeshua was talking about they're like sheep without a shepherd, that's talking the language of the prophets. They're with the first exile. Was that, yeah, the, the shepherds were scattering the flock. Instead of gathering the flock, protecting the flock, they were scattering the flock. So with this, um, we'll move on now into our next section here. But just when we uh, talk about um, where we are going further on in the book of Deuteronomy, and one of the things that we get as a, a picture of the book of Deuteronomy we get a picture of where we are going, where our mission is in life. Yes, for them, this is about ready to enter the, the land. You know, we talk about the <laughs> Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount that Yeshua told. Um, there are one version of it in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That's a point in time. Most of Deuteronomy is a, a series of sermons that Moshe is telling. And this is the message for that second generation. So in one of these particular lessons that you have um, is the, um, what is your mission in life? The Shema, the greatest commandment that we have in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So that gives you your first lesson. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So that is your first mission objective that you're going in life the second one is where we picked up from in Le in leviticus 19:18. we call it that the second greatest commandment is that you will love your neighbor as yourself or as the whole verse is is you know do not hold a grudge against your neighbor but you will surely love your neighbor as yourself so that's what it means to not or to love your neighbor as yourself is you do not hold this thing within yourself that you just will not let go. So you would want your neighbor to not hold something against you, so then you don't hold something against your neighbor. And we see that played out with in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, 
or talks about, you will know them by their fruits, which is what we mentioned earlier with what is inside of you will come out. So that which changes inside of you, where you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all aspects of yourself, your motivations, your desires, your what you, um, are you putting your life on the line and are you putting your resources on the line? Then also, the Apostle Paul talks about that with and his, one of his lists of the fruits of the Spirit in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 25, or talks about the deeds of the flesh versus the deeds of, or the fruits of the Spirit. And you see the attitudes that come from within, the, har- the things you harbor within yourself that come out, the deeds of the flesh, the what you would just react to, yeah, that's your natural part of yourself that will just come out. And then the fruits of the Spirit is you are changed on the inside. You've been mold- molded after the character of God, so that is what comes out of you. Deeds of the flesh, fruits of the Spirit. And also, with that, the New Covenant comes into play, which is quoted in a couple of places, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 26. And when we think about that is, you know, I will create a new heart within you, put my spirit within you. And you're thinking, oh, well, great. I just... I'm, I'm just going to get a complete change. It's kind of like going in and getting your engine replaced in your car. Just replace the engine and just roll right out. But as we were talking about before, this change within yourself is something that has to be prepared. The ground has to be prepared for it. Because you, know, you think about what happens if someone has an organ transplant. What is the usual recommendation? Like, for example, if you have like a heart transplant, and what? Take it easy. Perhaps change your diet. If there was perhaps something related to the diet that happened to perhaps lead to a situation, if it wasn't genetic or something like that that caused the situation to begin with, then perhaps you want to change your diet. But if you just have a heart transplant and then just go right back to behaviors that you were doing before over a lung transplant and you just go right back to smoking again and destroy your new lungs just like you did to your old lungs, well, then what has is, what is really changed? Not really changed much at all. So this new heart thing is not just, you know, some, some people think, you know, I, I want to change. I can never change. So just change it so, and, and get it over with so I can move on with my life. Well, the thing is, is it's just going to come back again. You just think you're going to have this replace your brain with a new brain and you're going to move on. Well, then that, that would make you somebody else. You are going to continue. But what kind of you is going to continue? And that kind of you has got to be prepared for it. And like we go through each week with the Shema, 
as you lie down, as you walk along the way. This is this training, like with children, happens every day, all the time during the day. And like with ourselves, this training with ourselves, this new way of life happens all the time and every day. So that's when we're talking about being prepared to stand on the day of the Lord. Well, we never know when that particular thing might come for us. And Yeshua told the parables of like, you know, the guy who was building the big barns and such, and he wanted to tear them down and build bigger barns. And he's like, well, you fool. <laughs> hey, uh, your, your time is up now. So uh, where, where did all that stuff account for? So you're the time for all of us to reach that Kadesh Barnea moment where we have to choose. Are we going to pick the 10 messages that are telling us, nope, you can't go forward, give up? Or the two messages that says, yeah, the Lord is moving with you, move forward with the Lord. That may come at any particular time or it may come several times a day. So are we actually prepping ourselves for that time when that decision comes where we have to move forward? So as we move forward and go through uh, Deuteronomy, I got, a, this, I got a copy of this over there. If you need to pick it up and kind of keep it in your Bibles, we go through the rest of our Torah portions in the book of Deuteronomy. But it's helpful because it gives you a big picture of the things that are happening in the book of Devarim. And it goes from the, um, you'll see that Moshe's first address covers pretty much the first four chapters of Deuteronomy. And then you'll start seeing the second address covers a good portion of the book, moves from the last part of chapter four through uh, chapter 28 and covers a whole lot of territory about the second address covering um, a lot of the curses and blessings and also a lot of uh, the Ten Commandments retold is in there. And then the book ends out with his last address, which covers chapter 29 and 30, and then the conclusion of, of Moshe's ministry covers chapter 31 through 34, and then ending with his death. So that's what the scope of the book is. But what is really kind of key and helpful in here is to see that a big section of the book, chapter 6 through good portion of 26, is really, really you can see it as a grouping together of an expounding upon the Ten Commandments, which is what we saw at the beginning part of our Torah portion here today. And it says that Moshe then began to what? expound expound the torah to expound to teach to explain what this was all about so we say yeah okay the 10 commandments that makes a nice little picture there hanging on your wall you can shape it like two two kind of rounded top tablets like tombstones or you can shape it in all kinds of different ways maybe with roman numerals maybe it's all in hebrew okay great but what's under the hood of each one of those things? It's like what you have with the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Uh, okay, great. But then you realize those two things get applied throughout your entire life. There's a lot of the, you know, we were talking at the end of the book of Numbers about between a mitzvah or a command and the chukot or the ordinances that come from the, the principle, the, the mitzvah, then down to the chukot or the ordinances that are made from them, and then down to that, the mishpatim or the judgments that come from that, the case law that comes from that. Our life is built on case law, how these particular things play out in our lives. So from these, the mitzvah, the, the simple commands of love God, love your neighbor, how then does that come down to our, um, where they become the ordinances in our life? And that's a lot of what you see here. And again, I got a copy of that. It's uh, something you can stick in your Bible. It's over there on the counter and that has all of these in it. So you can see that whether you're talking about the first commandment, have no other gods before, you, before me, you see it played out in lots of different ways. And especially when you see that the Shema comes really into play with the first commandment, to have no other gods before me. And this, the second and the third about blasphemy. A very interesting thing is, is about the fourth commandment about keeping the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. You'll see that there's a number of things that play into that as well, like talking about the sabbatical year, about the tithe, that one part out of ten is, belongs to the Lord. And then also about the, the big... Um, the big uh, pilgrimage festivals, Passover weeks and booths, or Pesach and Shavuot and Sukkot. You also see that under the fifth commandment about human authority, there's a lot of talk about, well, what, what real constraints should we have on people's behavior? You know, we should back off from our constraints upon people's behavior. We're, we're too strict about that. Well, the thing that we see when it comes down to the fifth commandment, because what is that in the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the face of the earth. So, from that, we can see that um, it is extremely important then to have some sort of constraints. What is the good way that leads to life? So your days may be long on the face of the earth. And then the ways that will make your days not be long on the face of the earth that lead to death. As you see, like at the end of Deuteronomy, I put before you life and death. But do what? Choose life out of this. That's what the whole point of this is, is to choose life. And that's one thing I had to learn the hard way <laughs> after teenagers is that actually choosing life involves honoring your parents. Uh, boy, that was a tough, tough lesson <laughs> to learn in that regard. So, yes, Larry, uh, go ahead. Kind of ironic is that 
the penalty for not honoring your parents under the Torah was death. Yes. And so that would make your, your life short. Yeah, your life is not going to be long on the face of the earth. I think it was, this was kind of a magic trick yes. where if you honor your parents, your life will be long. Well, yeah, but they had a law that said, we're going to shorten your life if you don't. Right. But you see, also, even if it didn't rise to the level of capital punishment, that starts a ball rolling downhill, and it picks up speed over time. I mean, we see it in what's, what's going on today. I mean, you got, you got little kids now that are, that are taking pot shots at police officers now. Kids. Toddlers. Throwing rocks. You know, that is a ball that started rolling downhill. Maybe it's slow, it seemed like at first. But it just keeps picking up speed and picking up speed and picking up speed. Canceling. Oh, no, well, just the thing of whole uh, sections of law that are just, we're not going to even prosecute them anymore. And, you know, they're, you can say that there might be debatable ways with the, the whole uh, broken windows um, theory of law enforcement, where if you let the broken window slide, then you know, it snowballs down from that. But we see how that's played out in San Francisco where they just, eh, you know, what, a few hundred dollars? We're just going to call it a mulligan if you just happen to walk out of a store with it. No, no big deal. Well, now what's going on? Now you got whole chains of stores that were like, ah, no, we don't have anything to do with San Francisco anymore. Because why? Yeah, and they recalled the district attorney because they... They're, they're totally sick of how that goes. Well, that was one ball that started rolling very, very slowly at first, but as it picks up speed, it goes on and on. And so we can see how many things can just roll out of not honoring your parents. So as you can see, as we go through the whole book, whether you're talking about the Sixth Commandment, about uh, killing and all the ramifications that come in with that, and whether you're talking about adultery, and that adultery is also something that goes downhill fast. We read about that in the end of the book of Numbers with, you know, with Bilam, and that whole thing that he set in motion with enticing you know, a whole group of men out of Israel, and how that started the slide downhill. So. And as we roll things out with the last part of the 8th, the ninth, and the 10th commandment, you can see also with just the 10th commandment about coveting, wow, coveting, isn't that just um, consumerism? Well, there's the one thing about saying, hey, something may be nifty, but it's the other thing to say what coveting is, is that I want it, and I don't want that other person to have it. We talked about that different thing of the difference between zealousy, which not a word, but really should be, and jealousy. Zeal and jeal. I know I was going to say that. That's kind of strange. We don't have the, the, the uh, corollary to that, but really it is jeal. It doesn't really jeal too much, but... The, yes, the 
aspect of that difference between jealousy and being zealous is the aspect of really coveting. With coveting, it is expressed as not just, I want that, but is, I want that, and I don't want you to have that. So when it's talking about coveting your, your neighbor's wife or something like that, it's just not that, wow, she's great, but it's that she's great, and I don't want that schlub to have it. So that, when you're talking about a grudge within someone's heart, that is something that just burning down deep within you is a rot that just starts festering to destroy a whole lot of yourself in the process. So that's why when we look at the Big Ten, the elaborations that we're going to see throughout the book of Deuteronomy applies to a whole wide sector of life in the process because these are all dealing with heart conditions, what is deep within inside you that then comes out. So in the process of the new covenant, that is a, a promise to change us from the inside so that then what comes out of us is good in the process. Yes, Jared. Which is why Yeshua says, don't hate your brother in your heart. Yes. And say, don't hate your brother or don't have negative feelings towards your brother. It says, in your heart, talk to him, deal out, you know, deal out your grievances with him solve it, move along. Yeah. Yeah, move along. Or you need to figure out how to deal with these things that come along in your life. All right, well, that's where we're going to go here today. Uh, any last thoughts as we close out? It's a, a journey that we're going on here as we are seeing here and reliving it with the second generation, this born again Israel that's getting ready to enter the land, enter the land of rest. It is a important thing to remember that it really is similar to our own journeys in life, which when you say leaving your house of bondage, going to the mountain, going to meet God, and then moving on past that to the land of rest, the place where you belong and not just wandering around in the process. All right, I'll close things out here. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us this time. We thank you for giving us your words of life. We thank you for all these things. In the name of your Son, Yeshua, amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.